God for your presence. Uh, this is a great topic, and uh, especially before the holidays, um, trying to hopefully stave off as much danger and disaster financially for some of us, if not all of us, uh, as these uh, as these holidays roll in. I mean, I've been deleting twice as many emails this past week as I usually do. You want to know why? Pre-Black Friday sales, right? As if like that clickbait is going to get my attention. Sometimes it does, it, it, depending where it's from. Best Buy, wait, what? Big screen TV, 100 bucks? What? <laughs> How many of you have been tempted, huh, with those? Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. But here we are. The uh, Advent book Davey mentioned, really good. I don't know if you grew up in a family that did like Advent calendars. I didn't. Uh, but if you start December 1st all the way up to Christmas, there's daily little readings here that I think are going to make your holiday that much deeper and more significant. So please use this. Use this with your family. And then you never know within a community like Missio Day when everyone's kind of on the same page, literally and figuratively, what God is able to do to bless and enhance our time. So hopefully every household got one. If you didn't get one, uh, they're on the back table uh, back there. So speaking of holidays, so when I was younger, uh, does anyone remember the Santa, Secret Santa workshop at school? Did you guys have one of those? So uh, Lori and I. So hey, honey, I'm only talking to you right now. But So when we were, when we were growing up, um, they would basically, at, uh, for like a week at school, would set up a thing called C Secret Santa workshop. And what you would do is you would get money from mom and dad to go and shop for Christmas presents for mom, dad, and siblings if you had them. Does anyone remember that now? Maybe it was called something different. So, you know, when you're in elementary school, you don't have wheels. You can't get to the mall or whatever. So mom and dad would give you money, $20, $40, $60, and you'd go shop at this little market at school and buy little tchotchke little items, right? The little statue that said world's greatest dad and had a little trophy, right? You guys remember that? Or a little mug that said world's greatest mom, right? That was pretty much what it was. It was just limited to those kind of things, right? So mom and dad would give you money. You would go and you were just so like happy to buy something for mom and dad, right? Like you're like, oh, I think my dad's gonna like this tie that says world's greatest dad, right? So I'm gonna buy him this tie and I'm gonna go wrap it myself and then on Christmas morning, Christmas Eve, whenever you, you know, open presents, you were just so excited for your parents to open the gift, right? And, um, and they would be like, oh my gosh, I love this mug so much, right? And they'd just be over the moon about what you bought for them, right? Um, and as a kid, you're just so thrilled in these moments, right? And I, and I, I think about those occasions, and I think how, how the parent really isn't excited about the gift. Let's just be honest. Like, they're not excited about this little made-in-China plastic trophy that probably cost 25 cents to make, yet it cost you four or five bucks, right, to buy. You know what the parents delighted in? That you went, picked out a gift that you thought they would love, and they are moved by the fact that you had bought them something. The value is not in the gift. The value is in what you did as far as movement to express your love for them. And I think about this when it comes to generosity. As a kid, are you spending your own money to buy the gift? No. The money is given to you by a parent. So you're taking someone else's money, and you're going to go spend it to show that parent, how much they mean to you. The value is in the experience of taking not something that was originally owned, doing something responsible, 
kind of owning it for the moment and going back and saying, this is a, an expression of how much you mean to me. I think about this because C.S. Lewis, believe it or not, said something very similar to this. Lewis says this in a, in a great quote. All of our offerings are like the intrinsically worthless present of a child, which a father values indeed, but values only for the intention. Is that not awesome? What we have is not ours. We are not owners, we are managers. And what the father delights in is not the question of how much of what I have can I keep, but the question is this, how much of what has been trusted to me do I give away? There's the secret of not just generosity, but joyful generosity. I think we've grown up in traditions and cultures and environments where when we think of generosity, when we think of giving, when we think of anything pertaining to money, it's, it's guilt-laden. It's, it's manipulative. It's coercive. And that's not what the Bible speaks of at all. It speaks of cheerful giving, joyful generosity. And, and, and we, we, uh, we lack joy because we've shifted into owner mentalities versus manager mentalities. All that you have is not yours. The money doesn't belong to you, and the experience or education that you have to get that money isn't even yours. It's a gift from God. The very means to make money is a gift. You ever thought about it that way? The fact that you live where you live, you got the education you experience, the, the promotions, the jobs, the, the, the appointments where God has you career-wise. Do you think you did that because you're, you're smart enough? You're good-looking enough? You're only where you're at because God has allowed you to be there. And so now we go, okay, God, I understand my position. I understand my place. I understand what you've entrusted me is really not for me, but it, it's ultimately for you. And here's the good news. God doesn't want your money. <laughs> if God wanted your money, he'd take it from you. But he doesn't want your money. You know what he wants? Your heart. Because he knows once you, he has your heart, everything else is, is an easy sacrifice for him. Aren't you glad God doesn't send you a bill? Invoices in the mail. Here's what you owe the Lord. Aren't you glad the church doesn't send you a bill? Even though there's been times I've thought about it. Like, there's just some people I need to invoice because they are not giving, right? Like, I, I don't know who gives and who doesn't. But if statistics are correct, listen to these numbers. 30 to 50% of believers give to the Lord at all. Of those 30 to 50% that give anything, 3 to 5% give 10%. The tithe. So if you've heard that word tithe, that's what that means, a tenth. Majority of Christians who give, give on average 2 to 3% of their income. We are the most prosperous church in history, and yet we're the most selfish church in history. Think about this. There's something about affluence that is killing us. There's something about money that is destroying us. And, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I teach on this topic regularly because it is my responsibility to save you from a life of headache and heartache and disaster. 
And I'm not speaking as one who is, who's accomplished this. I'm, I'm a work in progress. But I, I praise God that I'm different today than I, where, where I was five years ago. And I'm different five years ago than I was five years before that. We're constantly le- le- learning. We're constantly growing. God continues to have to pry my fingers off of possessions and money, right? Because it gives the allurement that it's, it's my security. It, it gives this false promise that I need it and I can't let go of it. But the moment I do let go of it, the moment I, God does loosen my fingers on the things I hold so tightly, and he reminds me, don't cling to that. Cling to the treasure of all treasures whose name is Jesus. Oh, now we're in business. Now we're in business. God is moving us, I believe, towards simplicity than accumulation. This is, I think, what the gospel does. When you understand that the Son of God himself, King of kings, Lord of lords, who, he had no place to lay his head. You think he's got a plan to move us towards simplicity rather than accumulation? I, I, I think so. So there's three things we're going to talk about this morning. Last week, if you remember, we talked about really principles, King Solomon, and we were in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and if you summed up last week's message in one sentence, King Solomon's advice would be, spend less than you make. How many of us just need to hear that one sentence right now? Spend less than you make. Majority of people are living on 118% of their income, which means we're, we're spending more than we make, which is, again, dangerous and disastrous. Today, we're going to look at pictures. We're going to look at the Gospels. We're going to look at what not only Jesus modeled, but what Jesus encountered. And if you know anything about the Gospels, Jesus talked about money a lot. One-sixth of the Gospels is devoted to finances, and a third of Jesus' parables, 39 of them, are devoted to money. You think this is an important topic? I'm not one of those pastors to shy away from. I love this. People look at me like, you're a weirdo, Scott. Like, teaching on money, like, I hate talking about, I love talking about money. Because, like I've said, this is not what I want from you. This is what I want for you. I want to pastor a truly financially liberated church that says, we want what God wants because I'm done with wanting what I want. Check this out. Three points this morning. Number one, generosity incar- uh, incarnated. I was going to say incarcerated. Uh, generosity incarnated. What do I mean by that? Probably the, the, the biggest, most amazing verse on this topic is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. We're going to look at Paul's practi- practical principles next week. So um, we looked at principles of wisdom last week. We're looking at Jesus' pictures this week. We're going to look at Paul on generosity next week, which should be a lot of fun. So uh, we'll conclude next week. But generosity incarnated. What do I mean by that? That God took on flesh, dwelt among us, right? 100% deity, 100% humanity. The mystery of Christmas that we get to celebrate. But notice this verse in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Do we have that one, Doug? That it says, there it is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice, here's, God is a God of grace. And here's how he's shown grace in the greatest of ways. That though Christ was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty you might become rich. Now this is not a material or financial promise. This is a spiritual promise. Because God understands once he has your heart, once your heart has been opened to the beauty of God's grace and the sacrifice of the Son on your behalf, a gift that we don't deserve, you're willing to give God everything. There is, there is no 
price too steep to, to give to God because of what he has done for you, this, this generosity right here. See, Jesus not only taught generosity, he displayed it. He lived it. And this is why uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul continues in chapter 9, verse 15, and it, and it says this word, right? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Can we just on it, honestly admit that the gospel is a gift? What Christ did for us is a gift. The gospel is continually in front of us. The gospel continually drives us. You are never one to react to the gospel with greed. When you think of the gospel, when you think of what God's done, it moves you to generosity. And here's what I know about greed. If you want to become a less greedy person, become a more generous person. Generosity is the thing that loosens greed's grip on our hearts. And may I add this, gratitude greases the skids for generosity to happen in your life. So think about those two things. We're all battling greed, and oftentimes we're the most thankless people. I, when I meet a Christian who's just complaining and grumbling, and I'm sitting there going, have you, first, have you forgot about the gospel? Should we not be the most grateful people in the entire world? Should we not be the people who are just like always walk, like walking with a little skip in our step? I know that's a horrible skip. You guys are like, something wrong with Pastor Scott? <laughs> Looks like he's injured. We ought to be the ones smiling ear to ear. We ought to be the ones that are the most joyful, the most hopeful, the most grateful. And you know what gratefulness does for what God has done for you? It expresses itself in giving. I'm going to give. I'm going to be generous. It's when we become so self-absorbed. We get, into, we get into problems. Write down a couple other verses, and I'm going to just encourage you. You might want to stretch your hand. Write down Hebrews 12 too. Christ endured the cross because there was a joy that was to be, to be fought after. In order to have the crown, he had to endure the cross. And that's what Hebrews 12 too says. God wants you to have joy. God wants you to have joy. And then, of course, Jesus himself says in the book of Acts, right, it is more blessed to give than to See, and he gives his life. See, it's not what God wants as far as materially, financially. It's he wants your heart. No one has ever given as much as Jesus has given to us. And he gave it all. And he did it with joy. So how can we, who have received so much from Jesus, be anything but cheerful givers? Our giving is a response to his grace. So there's it incarnated. How about point number two? Generosity instructed. So Jesus taught a lot on this. Several verses I'm going to give you. If you want to write these down, we're going to look at a couple of them on the screen. Christ always emphasized the importance of giving from the heart. It's not the amount. It's the attitude. Right? It's the attitude. He doesn't want your money without your heart. There's no mention of, of tithing after the Gospels, and what mention there is of tithing in the Gospels is, is falling under this indictment against the Pharisees, against the religious leaders, against very selfish, um, godless people. Uh, I'm not one to, to, to preach on tithing. I don't think tithing is a J New Testament practice. It's not even an Old Testament practice in the sense that what Israel was required to give was upward of 30% of their income, which I joked about last week, right? Some of us are like, can we talk about tithing? Because we don't like the 30%, right? 
But tithing, I often think, is not the ceiling. It, is, it should be the floor. Like, if you want to start with something, like I mentioned last week, give away 10, save 10, and live off 80. And then pray that God moves you to maybe 15, 15, and 70. And then 20, 20, and 60. See, I'm, I'm good at math. I'm with the public school, and look how good I am at math with you. <laughs> but, but 10 is not the limit. 10 is, pro- is where we need to start. And so... Um, The tithe is neither commanded nor rescinded. But here's what I I want you to understand is that uh, the the finances that were collected, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, were for the work of God to to be carried out, which is why we give. And I'm going to tie in some questions I got. And if you have questions that we can even incorporate next week, write them down on your communication card about finances. People ask, should I give to the local church or can I give to a lot of different ministries? Um, My encouragement to you is to give to the local church primarily. The local church works with agencies. The work, local church wor- works with organizations. And so work with the local church. And if God says, you know what, and moves on your heart beyond the local church, get involved with this, get involved with that. So I'm going to tell you right now, don't give away to agencies without first giving to your local church. Because we have ministries that we support. We just, in case you didn't know, and, and, and again, sometimes it takes a, a year review like this to remind us, we support children in India to get a Christian education. As a church, we are responsible for four kids. H- room, board, education in India, Hyderabad, India. We just re-upped once again to say we're going to support four kids to have an education who are often orphaned from their families because of the, 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 the Christ life that's taken part in their lives. Is that not awesome or what? You're a part of that. And so we work with organizations in India, Slovenia, even in our backyard. Even with things like foster, is it called hope, uh, hope in a future? So, Julianne, raise your hand. If you need more questions, Julianne and her family works with this organization. Uh, super fantastic. Uh, there's a lot of tags over there for kids who just would love a gift from a total stranger. Um, not saying we're going to blow through all those tags, but if we do, praise God. But at least it's something, right, that we can help with, with uh, kids here to have a Christmas and be blessed, right? And so we should consider it a joy to do this. But we're doing this in our local church context. If God says, give to your church, give to your church, and if there's something beyond that, go, go beyond it. Uh, write down this passage, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 33. Do we have that up there on the screen? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This comes right on the heels of Jesus talking about, do the flowers of the field get anxious about what they're going to, do the birds of the air stress out because they're thinking about food? No, no, no. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Trust Him. Trust Him to provide for you, right? For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Matthew 6 is a fantastic passage to, to, to consider because here's what God wants us to do when it comes to the area of uh, common fears. What do I wear? What am I going to eat? How am I going to make a living? All of us sometimes get stressed about these things, but God wants to move us from fear to faithfulness. Faithfulness in him. Do you doubt God's going to provide for you? Have you forgot about the promise of Romans 8? If God is for us, who can be against us? And if you're God's chosen ones, if he's given you eternal life, are you going to doubt him to provide for all the other things you need? Are you kidding me? He's given us all we need pertaining to life and godliness, according to 2 Peter chapter 1. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a God who can be trusted. Here's the problem is we haven't really relied on him to trust. We're putting our trust in money, not in God, even though our money says in God we. Isn't that interesting? 
It's very interesting, right? It's like, here's, here, here's the dead president, <laughs> right, that I trust and cling to and I value. But even on our currency, it says, in God we trust. If only that was true. I don't think you can know how true it is until you understand Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what? All other things in life will take care of themselves. How about Luke 6, 38? Look what Jesus says here. Interesting passage. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Investments in the kingdom of God yield an incredible reward. Do you know what the, some of us get excited about, you know, the percentage of certain things right now. Like, oh, did you hear about this high yield interest account I just invested money into? I'm like, tell me more about 3.5%. And I'm like, that's nice. Four, four percent, five percent, you know, I can lock my money into a, a 12-month CD at, you know, $200,000. I'm getting 5.5 percent back. Can I just tell you, chump change. Here's what God says when you invest in him and his kingdom. Do you guys know what the percentage is? 10,000 percent interest. What fool wouldn't leave this place today and say, I'm taking everything I own, I'm selling it, and I'm putting it in that. And yet we say it, but we don't believe it. We get excited about 3.3%. And God's going, I'm giving 10%. We have learned to trust in the FDIC. Does anyone know what the FDIC is? Federal Deposit Insurance. Have you seen this? You've seen the little sign at the bank? Our, our stuff's backed up by the FDIC. What's the FDIC current rate? Do you know, uh, Julie? $250,000. Yeah, how much they promise that we will, we will cap out whatever is lost if something happened at $250,000. You need to get off the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and trust in the other FDIC, Father's Deposit Insurance Company. Can I get an amen on that? You know what his deposit insurance is? Limitless. Limitless. This is what Jesus teaches. What is invested in the things of God are eternal. The things that are invested in the kingdom of God will last well beyond our lifetimes. We think about 30 years. God's going, I don't care about 30 years. Where's your investment going to be in 30 million years? Oh, you have little faith. Oh, you have short vision. Jesus is always, once again, reframing this topic and saying you have no understanding that everything that you strive for in this world will be lost. It's not a question of will it, it will be, it's when. And I'll tell you when it will be lost, the moment you take your last breath here and your first breath in eternity. You take nothing with you, except that which you've invested that goes well beyond you in eternity. Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 34, check this out. So Jesus says, uh, do we have those? Yeah, fear not, little flock. So notice, Jesus understands fear gripping the hearts of his people. He understands fear 
that is constantly enlarging because we're reading the news on a daily basis. We're being bombarded with information on a daily basis. No wonder we as believers are more fearful than faithful is because we surround ourselves with so much input of everything that's going on. We were having this conversation in our house this week. Do you think as liberated technologically as we are, as advanced as we are, uh, and progressive as we are, we are probably more stressed out than any other people group that has ever existed on this planet. You want to know why? Because 100 years ago, people didn't have the information available to them like we have now. And the human creation, this, we, we as human beings, I don't believe we're created to take in as much information as we're presented on a daily basis. And, you're, and, and with as much information that's flying in, into our lives, you think we're not going to be stressful? You think we're not going to be anxious? We were never wired to process so much. Fear not, little flock. Listen to the tenderness. I know you're scared, but you're part of a flock. <laughs> it is your father's good pleasure, notice, to give you everything your hearts desire. Is that what it says? No. To, to give you that job promotion that you're so desperately wanted. Does that, is that what it says? To, get, to, to give you that house that you've just always been dreaming of. Is that what it says? Here's what I'm going to say real quick. There's nothing wrong with a promotion. There's nothing wrong with a house. There's nothing wrong with cars. As you're going to hear next week, I believe you should enjoy God's gifts to you, but not at the expense of losing sight of the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to do what? Give you the kingdom. Let me just tell you, you don't want anything more than the kingdom because the kingdom is eternal. Your kingdom, temporary. 30 years from now, no one's going to remember you. 30 years from now, no one's going to remember your kingdom. No one's going to care about your house. No one's going to care about your car. All the things we strive after, remember spending money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like? Remember that? No one's going to remember this. But the kingdom that belongs to Christ that is eternal. So go sell your possessions. Give to the needy. You're going to find out two groups people love. I mean, God loves more than anything else. The poor and the unreached with the gospel. This is what God says. You care about the poor and you care about those who don't know Jesus. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Can I get an amen on that? So, so Jesus gives us this instruction. I can give you more, but let's shift to the third and final, where there's going to be seen snapshots. Here's what I want to do now, and we're, we're going to finish the rest of our talk. How's generosity illustrated in the Gospels? Because here's what I love. People... In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, accounts of Jesus, when they meet Jesus, when they truly encounter Jesus, these men and women are not unchanged. And oftentimes, their wealth, their possessions, the things they own, are radically liberated from themselves for, for greater purposes. I want to look at eight quick snapshots. This is going to be great for you to study this week. Take maybe one a day. But let's look at these things because here's what I want you to see is that each of these scenes is marked by a quality that is all part of our generosity. 
And we'll talk about that here. Scene one, and it's Christmas time, so let's talk about the Magi, the joyful Magi. Briefly, Matthew chapter 2, we're not going to turn there, but I just want to just give you the reference. Matthew 2, you remember the Magi came from thousands of miles from Bethlehem because they had studied the Old Testament and they were aware that the the Messiah is going to be born. And there was no distance that was too long for these men to travel and no money that was too much to spend to get to where Jesus was to be born and bring extravagant gifts. Notice they didn't bring teething rings to the, to the birth of Christ. Can I get an amen? They didn't bring like cute little cardinals jumpers for, for the little kid, right? They didn't bring socks. Remember that Jim Gaffigan sketch? I love Jim Gaffigan. He's like, what do you bring to Jesus? And he goes, you got me socks. You know I'm dying for your sins, right? Like you're getting me socks. These men brought extravagant, costly gifts because they understood the one who is a superior to them, who is deserving of such adoration and worship. And after traveling thousands of miles, and after spending exorbitant amounts of money, you know what it says when they met the Christ child? There was exceedingly great joy. Ladies and gentlemen, joy is connected to our generosity. And there should be no distance too great to go to be generous, and there should be no price too high to pay to say, we adore our king. The Magi give us a great lesson. There is great joy. They came so far to give their gifts. Wow. How about scene number two, the eternal field? Matthew 13, verse 44, shortest parable, one verse parable. I think the greatest parable Jesus ever told. It says this, The kingdom of God is like a field where there's a treasure hidden in it. And a man finds that field, sees the value of that treasure, and goes and with joy sells all he has to buy that field. The kingdom of God is worth sacrificing everything for. Right? God is moving us towards less accumulation and more simplicity. It's exactly what Paul says. I'm going to press on to know Christ and I consider all things as worthless to know him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Are we moving? Here's a great examination question. Am I moving towards simplicity or am I moving towards accumulation? Am I looking to give away stuff? Am I looking to just sacrifice stuff because there's something greater to be had? I don't need all that crap. You should see my garage. The garage is full of crap that I could sell and probably do something with. Now my wife's getting an idea. She's like, oh, do you mean that? She loves cleaning. I don't. <laughs> Any pack rats in the house? Yeah, that's me. But if you're thinking about it, we should, we should be continually look to downsize. We should continue to look cleaning out our, our debris and clutter, things that we thought we needed, things that we spent so much money on, and we go on eBay and go, really? It's only worth that? You know what I'm saying? Like, here's this guy who finds this field. And he says, the kingdom of God is something worth losing everything for. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. You know who said that? Jim Elliott. As he landed in this remote region in South America and was immediately killed along with his compatriots by the indigenous people that live, the Alka Indians. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Wow. 
Can I give you another Lewis quote? Last one, I promise. He says it this way, all that is not eternal is eternally useless. Amen? How about Tozer? Oh, you know when you get Lewis and Tozer in the same, same message? Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Scene number three. Here's one I, I want us to look at. Mark chapter 12. This is the sacrificial widow. Now we know this, and maybe sometimes we don't understand the context of it. Um, look at verse uh, chapter 12, Mark. You guys are there. And we're going to uh, bounce to a couple uh, different passages. Mark chapter 12. Look at verse 38. Here's something that most of us don't really consider. Sometimes we jump in at verse 41 where this, this scene takes place. And you guys know the scene, right? This unnamed poor woman comes into the temple where all the jars for offering are all lined up and all the bigwigs, all the religious leaders are dropping in their change and making a loud noise. And this little widow comes in with just all she has. She drops them in. Jesus and the disciples. I'd like to see the scene. Like, were they hiding? Did Jesus like to maybe play games and go, guys, shh, shh, come here, check this out. And they're looking and they're observing and they're spying. And he says, see what that woman just did? Because they're all impressed with the, the guys giving the money and all the show and pomp and circumstance. He says, that woman, she gave everything. But we miss out what happens before the scene. Look at verse 38. So in his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Why is it always good to understand the context of a scene? Because the very people these men were devouring is the very person that's giving everything she has to the temple. She's giving to the temple that was supposed to take care of widows and orphans, and they weren't. They were devouring her. She still went into the place that wasn't doing anything good in her life. They were taking from her, and she still gave everything to the institution that was destroying her. You want to know why? Because her obedience wasn't to those men. Her ultimate obedience was to the Lord. She said, no amount was too great to sacrifice to my God. I understand these men maybe should be taking care of me and they're not. But that doesn't change my heart's posture to say I'm going to give everything to God because he's given everything to me. Look at verse 41. So he sits down began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums, but even though they were putting in large sums, it wasn't making a dent in their resources. Giving is not about what's comfortable. Giving is about that which is sacrificial and oftentimes painful. Because ultimately, I think what God wants us to learn in giving is contentment not comfort. Because you know what these men had to rest in when they gave all this large sums? They still had a reserve that they could rest in. Are you resting in your reserves? Or like this woman who gave everything, she's resting in her hope of heaven. 
Check this out, verse 42. Poor widow comes in, puts in two small, small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples from him, he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. Meaning, what she just gave is more significant than all these guys combined. And these disciples are going, did Jesus flunk math? Because that doesn't make sense. It's not the amount. It's the affection. It's the attitude. These men loved their money. This woman loved her Lord. And this is what motivates us to be sacrificial. Look at verse 44. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put all she owned, all she had to live on. The word is sacrifice. I'm going to tell you right now, this woman made an all-in contribution. I don't know about you, but as you guys know, I love eating. It is my spiritual gift. Come let us worship and chow down. You guys know that psalm? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, how many of us love eggs and bacon? I just had eggs and bacon yesterday. Any eggs and bacon fans there? You can do eggs and ba bacon. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner. doesn't matter. But I'm thinking about eggs and bacon. And I'm thinking about w w what contributed to that breakfast. You have two animals. A chicken and a pig. I will debate you. Maybe pig is the greatest animal God ever created. Can I get an amen on that? Oh, I guess, oh, think about all the uses for a pig, right? But think about chicken and a pig. Both those animals contributed to that bacon and eggs breakfast. But only one of those animals was all in on the contribution. Can I get an amen on that, right? The chicken, boop, you know, like, that's it. Didn't hurt it. It wasn't pained by it. It just was like, boop, you know. And, but the pig, guess what? The pig is no longer with us, Right? Because of its all-in sacrifice. Can I get an amen from somebody? Some of you are chickens in God's church. Some of you are like, God, boop, you know. <laughs> you don't feel it. It just happens. You're like, great, glad I could be a blessing. My question is, when are you going to turn into a pig for the Lord? Can I get an amen? Does God have all of you? Does God have all of you? There's too many chickens. There needs to be more pigs. Lord, there is nothing I wouldn't give to you. The value of a gift is not measured by its size. It is measured by its sacrifice. How much is this going to make me uncomfortable? How much is this going to make me content in Christ these men who gave, it costs little to them to give. But for this woman, she gave it all. Boy. And you know what I love about this account here? Is this woman, her one cent contribution has yielded hundreds of years of conviction to God's people. You cannot outgive your God. 
And you can never underestimate the sacrifices you make and the impact they're going to have beyond your life. You think this woman was thinking, oh, 2,000 years, there's going to be a church in Chandler talking about my story. You think she's thinking about this? And yet we're going to be in the kingdom with this woman. And we're going to run into her and go, you're her? We're going to give her a hug and say, thank you so much for your sacrifice. Because it challenged me. It convicted me. God can do so much with so little. Next scene. The humbled tax collector. Luke chapter 19. Turn there. You guys know this. You know the guy's name? Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he, right? This is a man who willingly entered an occupation where his wife his kids and himself would have no friendships with anybody in their community. This is a man who, being a Jew, would extort exorbitant amounts of money from his neighbors because he was a patsy for the Roman Empire. The Romans said, tax your people. And whatever you want to tax above what we require, go ahead and keep. This man willingly entered a job where he said, honey, are you ready for a life of loneliness? Kids, are you ready for a life where you will continually be sneered at? And what was his motivation? Greed. Well, that greed eventually started choking his life. As a matter of fact, this is what Jesus says when it comes to the parable of the seed and the sower. If you remember, there's four types of soil. Luke chapter 8, write it down, look at it later. The third soil says the word of God is choked because of possessions and riches of the world. And I think there's a lot of people in our church who are being choked by the possessions and riches of this world. The word of God is being choked in our lives. And here's a man who heard Jesus was coming to his village and he said, I'm tired of being choked. I'm tired of living a life in isolation. I'm tired of living a life where no one likes me. I'm tired of screwing over my neighbor and living like a thief among my neighbors. He hears Jesus is coming. Such a crowd has gathered. He can't get in because he's so short. He climbs a tree, which would have been totally unorthodox for a grown man to do in this, in this time. But this is why he's the humbled tax collector. Because this is what sometimes the work of God does in us. It humbles us. And it reminds us of our des desperation for him. And he, and he comes to know Christ, right? Christ says, hey, we're going to have a party tonight, and it's going to be at your house. He opens up his house, throws a party, invites his other tax-collecting friends there, and this man's life is transformed. And you remember what his response is to the grace shown to him by Jesus. I will sell all I have and give 50% to the poor. Write down that number, 50%. And I will pay back four times what I've taken from people. In order to do this, you've got to re realize this man was sitting on a treasury. And can you imagine all the knocks on the door, right? Judah, are you there? Oh, it's the tax collector. He wants more from me? Shows up. I have something to give you. And the guy's like, wait, what? I've been, I've been dishonest with you. I've been a thief toward you. Jesus has changed me, and I want to give you back 
four times what I've stolen from your family. Can you imagine that conversation? Judas sitting there going, is this for real? Am I being punked right now? Am I on a cat- What's going on? This is what happens when the gospel happens in your life. You're willing to sell you ha- what you have and give 50% to the poor, and you're willing to pay back four times what you've stolen from people? And you remember what Jesus says about Zacchaeus? Today, salvation has come to this house. Wow. That's amazing. How about scene number five, the prodigal woman? You guys know what the word prodigal means? Because we've heard of the prodigal son, which really is a parable of the prodigal father. What does the word prodigal mean? Expand on that. Okay. God wants you to be a wasteful spender on him. We're going to talk about this. Prodigal means extravagantly wasteful. Remember the dad gave his son the inheritance? Because the kid just said, I wish you were dead. I want to go party. He went and partied. Came back. The fa- what did the father do? Say, well, you still owe me this. Before we can have a friendship again, you still owe me what? He said, pull out all, the, all, all of our wealth. Let's have a party. Here's a woman in John chapter 12. Turn there if you would. John 12. We know her by Mary. All the accounts give us this scene. Some don't mention her. Some mention she's a sinful woman. Some mention she's a prostitute. This is the, the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And they're in their dad's house who is a leper. His name's Simon the leper. What an interesting family. Dad's a leper. Sister's a prostitute. Lazarus was dead and brought forth. I mean, talk about the dinner stories. Mary, during a party in John 12, goes and brings out an alabaster jar full of perfume. The amount, one year's wages. Goes to Jesus, pours it, starting with his head. Can you imagine just Jesus in there, like, having all this perfume? Like, it doesn't say Jesus was like, woman, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) don't touch me. Like, no. And people were looking on, were like, does he not realize the kind of woman that's touching him? Does he realize what's going on? And she's pouring this entire amount over his head. And then proceeds to use her hair and wipe his feet. He is moved by her affection, and he's affectionate towards her. He's being adored, because why? His worth to her If she had more jars, she'd go get them. He is worth so much to her. But if you remember the scene, someone's looking on. His name is Judas. And all he's doing is going, what is this woman doing? Does she not know the value of what she's pouring? That money could be going towards the poor, acting all righteous. But it says in John that he was really selfishly thinking about his own greed because he'd take from the money money bag. But if you remember... Judas communicates his worth, or Jesus, Judas, Jesus' worth for him. How much was Jesus worth to Judas? 30 pieces of silver. This is called the tragedy of miscalculation. Write down that word. Some of us tip God. Yeah, 
And we tip God, not because of his worth. We tip God because, yeah, pastor told me to do this. It'll look good on my expenses at the end of the year. My accountant's going to look at what I've, my charitable donations. Here's what God wants your heart motivation to be. That you're willing to extravagantly waste whatever amount on him because you adore him that much. And all God's people said, yeah, I know, it's hard to say amen. But are you willing to pour it all out? Was she wasting what she had? It wasn't hers to begin with. She understood this. And Jesus accepted her offering, but had choice words about Judas. See, Jesus for Mary was the priceless treasure. Scene six, the compassionate Samaritan. See, we're cruising through this pretty quickly. You guys know this account as the good Samaritan. I'm going to call it compassionate. I think good has maybe lost a bit of its luster. You know what compassion says? I see need and I'm moved to respond to that need. You guys remember the account, right? Man's beat up by robbers. Two religious figures walk by without even considering, without even being moved. They walk to the other side of the street. They avoid, which actually brings us to a question. When you come across need, maybe a panhandler on the side of the street, someone asks, what's the difference between enabling and supporting? You're only enabling somebody when you know their story. You, when you give someone money on the street, do you know their story so much so that you know you're enabling them? See, when, you, when you're thinking in terms of enabling, supporting, write this down, that requires relationship. If there's a need presented to you, I'm going to err on the side of be gracious, be generous, and trust God with the results. Some of us already justify in our head, like, I, only, I met a woman in a, in a Home Depot parking lot who came up to me and she said, you got any money? Sound like Marge Simpson. You got any money? And I said, um, I said, are you hungry? She said, yes. I said, well, the hot dog guy, how come the Home Depots have hot dog guys in front of them? All of, is that a requirement for Home Depot? Hey, let me go buy a couple hot dogs and, and a soda. I don't want a hot dog. I don't want booze. I said, I'd buy you a hot dog. But I'm not going to, I can't support that. All right. <laughs> right? I found out a little bit of her story, right? But versus you're at the intersection and there's someone there, you know what I'm going to tell you to do? Just give them something. Give them something. And if it requires you maybe hit the Wendy's and then make a U-turn and come back and bring them something, do it. If you carry stuff in your car, give it. But you know what? We're so easily, you know, oh, that person's probably, and we make up some sort of fanciful story in our head about them when we know nothing about them. Give, trust God with the results. Because ultimately it's between them and God, isn't it? If he moves your heart to do something, do it. And I hope he does. I hope we become a more generous people. But there's the difference. You're not enabling or supporting somebody until you can find out about their story, and then you can determine. So, Here's the good Samaritan, the compassionate Samaritan. And I love what this man did. He says, there's someone in need. They're hurting. I've got wine. I've got a horse. And I've got money. And I'm going to put you up to get, to get well. There was no like, hey, what religion are you? Do you worship the same God I worship? What's your neighbor? What's your zip code? Oh, we don't know. We don't live near. I can't, I can't take care of you. 
no questions asked, took care of this man, didn't ask him for his name, didn't ask him for, you know, your last four digits of your social, you know, whatever. Put him up, and then days later came back to check in on him. And this account is known by people of faith and outside the faith. You realize how well known the account of the Good Samaritan is in our world? Because people want to experience this sort of compassion. And they're just waiting for people to be moved to do this. Right? Jesus mentions that God uses the needs of others as opportunities for us to exhibit his love and grace. This is not about them. This is about you. Can I, can I ask you an application question real quick? So the point of this account, the compassionate Samaritan, is this. Do you love the person who's in front of you at a cost to yourself? Do you love the people around you at a cost to yourself? See, the question isn't, hmm, what percentage of my money should I give this person? But rather, the question is this, the people that I deal with and that I'm aware of, do I love them as I ought out of my resources? And the real question that was proposed to Jesus to even to introduce this account is this, who's my neighbor? Can I just tell you how, how wrong a question that is? The question isn't, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Here's the real question. Jesus, what kind of neighbor am I? Really turns everything over on its head, doesn't it? Jesus, what kind of neighbor have I been in my community, in my town, with my, my neighborhood? Scene number seven. Two more and we're done. The trusting boy. You wanna, this is the kid that had the uh, Long John Silver's combo meal. You remember him? Fish, bread, right? Maybe some slaw. We don't know. It wasn't mentioned. The trusting boy. So there's 5,000 people gathered. These were men. So the number actually was 15 to 20,000 people. And it's lunchtime. Jesus has been teaching. And I get it. Like, people get hungry. When you get hangry, angry, and hungry, you can preach the gospel and be the best. But people are like, dude, we need to go. Because it's, it's, it's feeding time, right? Give us some chicken and pigs, right? So, um, so I think as a joke, a couple of the disciples were like, hey, Jesus, people are hungry. And we don't even have enough money to buy even just bread for everybody gathered. <laughs> but we found this little guy here with a little lunchbox. Maybe this will work. And Jesus said, oh, do you doubt my ability to make much from little? He said, little boy, can I have your lunch? Now, I don't know. As a kid, I, I had a Masters of the Universe lunchbox. I wouldn't trust with anybody. But this kid willingly gives to Jesus because this kid's over here in the conversation and I think this kid's going, I can't wait to see what Jesus does with my lunch. Gives Jesus five loaves, two fish. Says to the disciples, go ahead and start passing out food to everybody. And before you know it, two hours later, Jesus says to the disciples who are probably sitting there going, we don't know what just happened, but 15,000 people just got fed by this kid's lunch. And there's leftovers. You know what this kid believed that the disciples didn't? God's math is far superior than our math. Can I get an amen? What God is able to do with little, we have no understanding of. You think this kid went home and said, Mom, remember that lunch you gave me? You're not going to believe what, it, what happened. 
She's going to be like, what? And again, unnamed kid trusting Jesus to do much with little. It is never the amount. It is always the attitude. Start with something. Last point, and we'll finish with this. The selfless church. Acts chapter 2. You know what Acts 2 says? These people that have experienced this fresh revival of the Spirit considered others' needs as more important than their own. And here's what Acts 2 says. No one in that community had need. Why? Because they loved one another so well. And if anyone had need, here's what it says. They sold what they had so others could have what they needed. And you know who I believe led the charge with this? Because it says it in Acts 4, Barnabas. Who heard there was need and sold land and gave it to the disciples. And he said, I don't need the land. I need to know that my fellow brothers and sisters are taken care of. You know what I love about this scene is that what happened in that church 2,000 years ago is the same thing that can happen in this church today. That as we talk to each other, we're going to hear things. Some people are too prideful to admit their need. But that doesn't mean God can't give us ears to hear and eyes to see and go, I think this person needs something this season. I think this person is lacking something. Lord, if I can help them, and even if I don't have the money, maybe you can show me something I can sell so I can get the money to help this, bro- this, bro- this brother or sister. And that church, you know what happened to that church? It grew numerically. Why? Because they bought fog machines and flying llamas for their services, and the pastor had tight jeans, and they had f- big screens, and Fog machines and all that stuff? No. You know why churches have fog machines? Because when the fog machine goes off, that's when you know the Holy Spirit's arrived. So we don't have that. We're going to just trust the Spirit to be here. I kid because I love. All right. So, um, but here's what we do know is that where the Spirit of the Lord is among his people, it makes an impact. The world will know you're my, disi- my disciples by your love for one another. And if we're looking out for one another's needs, how is a community move that says, I want what that church has? Because 1 John chapter 3 says, if you walk by and you see a brother in need and you ignore it, how does the love of God exist in you? God cares about the poor. He cares about those who don't have the gospel. And those are the very things we want to be a part of. And God is doing it through us. He's doing it with us. He's doing it through us. Next week, we're going to look at Paul's encouragement and generosity. We're going to get real practical next week. I'll share more stories with you next week. But I felt this was important. I mean, there's a lot here. Take one. Take one a day. Uh, call me next week. Tell me, let me know how you're feeling, okay? There's the doctor's prescriptions. But we could go on. There's, there's more, more accounts than this. But this is enough to get you started thinking about what does God want from me, for me? This is not what God wants for from you. This is what he wants for you. Here's what I'm praying. God raises up generous people. And all God's people said, let's stand, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the indescribable gift that is Jesus Christ. Who saw us in our bankruptcy, saw us in our poverty, saw us in our neediness, saw us without any hope whatsoever. 
and came and dwelt among us and took the form of a servant and loved us and died for us. And Lord, now that Lord and that Savior and that King has been highly exalted. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But until that day, not only may we as your people, I pray that we would communicate through the things that we possess or possess us, that we don't need it. We only need the true treasure, and that's Jesus. Help us to live with that, just conveying that attitude. Our trust is not in politics. Our trust is not in my, my, my job. My trust is not in my government. My, my trust is not in you know, my, my bank account. My trust is in you, oh God. And as we continue to live with less and we continue to pursue simplicity, make people just look at that crazy way of living and say, what is it? What is it about? And we get to talk about the kingdom that is truly eternal. Lord, help us to live in, that, in a manner that reflects that and it causes conversation. There's nothing we need outside of Jesus Christ. We pray that he would be our only treasure and that everything is a worthy sacrifice to have him and to know him. So move powerfully in our hearts. Be glorified in our lives. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face toward you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day. We'll see you soon, you guys. Thank you. And don't forget to grab, if you want, a, a tag on the tree to help a foster child that needs to be blessed this Christmas season. Thanks, you guys.